0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Um, I hope everybody can hear me. I'm kind of uh, loud of voice. That's from 33 years in grade 7. And I just graduated, and uh, now I'm back in grade 7. So uh, <laughs> teaching kids. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, it's, uh, it feels like cheers, you know? It, it, it's almost like a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. That's what, that's what the feeling is here. Uh, I wanna take us to our scripture passage to begin with. And the, the one thing about this scripture passage is that it's very short. And uh, Erica was teasing me and she said, you got lots of time this morning. She said, you can take as much time as you want. So, you know, but uh, it, looks, it looks like a small passage, but we'll see how, uh, how it goes here. So the passage is from chapter seven of Matthew, and uh, it's verses 13 and 14, and it's entitled, The Narrow and Wide Gates. And this is the word of the Lord. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad, that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow, that leads to life. And there are few who find it." That's the passage. Now that's um, placed right in the center of chapter 7. And chapter 7 is placed at the very end of Uh, a teaching by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, they told us in Divinity College the text without uh, context is a pretext. So uh, we want to give a little bit of context to this passage. Verses 1 to 12 is subtitled Judging Others but it basically is relationships. How we relate to one another. And in the first part, it talks about how we relate to our brothers and sisters. And it tells you that we should not um, start trying to dig the speck out of our brother's eye until we take the the plank or or the telephone pole out of our own eye. Um, We need to, to make sure that what we are doing has the right motives behind it, how we treat each other. Those are our brothers and sisters. And then, first, the stranger. How we are to treat the stranger. And it, it says, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. What this passage is talking about, and it's a very tough passage. I know that uh, Pastor Daniel Cormier, um, Robin, told me that, that he had preached on this and, and, uh, in Kentville, or and. Uh, The passage is basically saying that, uh, like Dr. Allison Trice used to say, put the cookies on the shelf where people can reach them. That's not the time to tell everybody everything you know about any subject or topic. You know, I had um, encounters with professors at university, and one fellow stood up one time and he said, I've talked about myself long enough, you can talk about me now for a while. And another professor, he stood up and he said, why is it every time I open my mouth, some fool starts talking? He was talking to his class. And uh, they said, we don't know, professor. We don't know. But that passage is talking about that. And then it goes on from there. And it talks about um, how we are to relate to our family, to our children. And and, uh, we are to give them good gifts to our children. And there's one little phrase in there, it says, um, in verse 11, it says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? And I thought about that. I thought, what what is that talking about, being evil? I think what he's saying is, there's no such thing as good. We're not here to be good. We're here to be saved. We're here to have life. And the, 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 the problem that we run into sometimes in churches is people are looking be- be- the difference between good and bad, and it's not. It's not a matter of good and bad. That's been settled. There's nothing good in us. you know, Paul tells us that there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good in me. I know that's true. It's a flesh at work in me. But what we're looking at is the difference between life and death. That's the big deal. And that's what this is talking about, I believe. And then it, it, it ends with the golden rule in verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. And we remember Jesus saying, um, how do you read things? He asked the young, young man. He said, how do you read things? What, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, and soul and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, you have judged rightly. For all the law and the prophet, hang on those. This idea of relationship (laughs) with God, relationship with each other, is, is what this is about. And then we have the passage that is our scripture, and it's very short in the middle. And then after that, it talks about how we deal with people who say they're something and they're not really something, they're really something else, they're false, and how we how we deal with those, and how God deals with them. And that takes us to the end of the chapter. So when I was about six years old, um, we used to go visit our grandparents in Mount Denson. They lived on a farm. They had animals. And they had one particular animal that we um, would ride on every once in a while, and that was a pony. And I don't know why they named him Pal. But anyway, they did. He was ornery. He was stubborn and ornery. Anyway, my brother and I would get on his back and go for a ride out in the, uh, in the field. And uh, one day, my brother's on the front, I'm on the back, and we're trotting along out in the field on Pal. And my grandfather goes to the barn with a pail. He's going to get some feed for the chickens. And as he goes in, puts the feed in, This pony, who is out in the field, hears that, apparently, and thinks it's lunchtime. So he turns and he bolts for the barn. Now, in my grandfather's barn, there were two doors. There was a small door that people just walked through to go into the barn. Then there was a huge door over on the side that you'd open up and would let the tractor go in and the... The wagon and whatnot to put hay in the hay mow and all these other things. Okay, so it was a big door, right? Big wide door. Anyway, well, my grandfather was in the barn and the small door was open, and here comes the horse. And my brother's trying to get the get the pony to stop, and the pony's not stopping. So we're galloping along, heading for the barn, and uh, my brother sees the doorway coming up on us pretty fast and uh, he yelled something to me and i'm on the back holding on for dear life and next thing i know he ducks down and i i ended up on the ground Um, when i came to i i I recalled that what he said was duck (laughs) thanks for sharing that one (laughs) but uh but that's how it is and in this passage we have the narrow gate, and it's compared with the wide gate. And there are two groups of four characteristics in this teaching. The broad way. The broad way, the gate is wide, Jesus tells us. The way is broad. It leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. And Jesus contrasts that with the narrow way. The gate is small, the way is narrow, it leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know, uh, as parents, uh, Rob and I would make decisions about our, our daughters, about doing things, like you know, going to parties, who's going there, and what's, what's happening, and so on and so forth. And then we would discuss and decide whether or not they should go. And if we said no, we usually got something back like, well, everybody's going to be there. And I just felt like coming back and saying, well, not everybody's going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) No, not everybody. But everybody, everybody comes through the wide gate. When you were born, you come through the wide gate. And we are all on that wide road. And it's one of those things where the way is wide because anything goes on this way. When we look at our world today, it's like anything goes. Whatever you're doing, whatever makes you comfortable, however you feel, that's, that's what's, what's right for you. And so uh, we all start out there. All our belief systems, all our lifestyles, all treatment of others and ourselves is equal. And the people who stay on this road are hoping for a result that is different from what Jesus is teaching. Because what Jesus is teaching is that this road leads to destruction. It's a dead, literally, a dead end. It's a dead end road. Spiritually, people who, who stay on that road are spiritually dead and they will... Um, lead to destruction. It will lead to destruction. It could be eternal lives that they desire, but they don't want Jesus in their lives. They want to be on that road where it's broad and it's wide and it's easy, where you're popular, where power and wealth and position are the important things. And as they walk along, um, they just want to They just want to um, be seen as being important. The billboards on the side of the road uh, continue to espouse how good or how important these people are, or conversely, how terrible people are. They're better, I'm better than so-and-so. At least I don't do this. You've heard it, you know. I might might do something wrong sometimes, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm a good person. That's how we buy into it. People on this road, and I love this little verse from the end of Judges, I mean, at the time of the Judges, the last verse. People on this road do what is right in their own sight, and there is no one to help or guide them. They do what is right in their own sight. They do not believe that the Broadway, with all its allure and promises, leads to death and destruction. They just don't believe that. So on the other side of the coin, the, the narrow way, why is it narrow? I thought about that. And I, th- I, I had to really, really think about, why is it narrow? If it's the way that leads to life, why is it the narrow way? In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. i get there here, John chapter 14. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and and he's saying to them, "Um, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, there are many, many passages in the Gospel of John where we have these I am um, passages that Jesus is, uses. And uh, just to. To name a few, Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate of the sheep. And I am the resurrection. What he was doing, basically, is making connections with God the Father. And he's saying, I am God. Because God, in the Old Testament, in his encounter with Moses. Moses asked him, who, who, who shall I say that you are when I go back to Egypt and talk to the, the people there in Pharaoh? Who should I say you are? He said, tell them I am. I am who I am. I am. That's a sign of divinity. It's a sign of, of, of being eternal. I am. It has no beginning, no end. I am. And so he uses this passage, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is the way. He's the way on the road. He's the way. And he's the only way. And that's what he's saying. I am the only way. That's why the road is narrow. It's because there is no other choice. It's not A or B. It's... Death or life? You want life? The only way to life is through Jesus Christ. You want death? It's every other way. Any other way you can figure out? And it doesn't matter what it is. The road is narrow because only Jesus is the way to eternal life with the Father. So how do we access the gate again in John, Jesus' teaching about those who follow him refers to his true followers. And in chapter 10 of John, he refers to them as sheep, his followers. And it's, it's a passage that reminds me very much of uh, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 talks about the journey, you know. Um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's a journey. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever that is a journey that we go on and the lord is my shepherd he's the good shepherd and here in chapter 10 uh, of john jesus talks about that he talks about being the shepherd and in this passage twice he mentions that i am the good shepherd And twice he mentions, I am the gate of the sheep. I'm the gate. He says in verse 7, Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he goes on, and twice he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And then he makes a comparison. And he says about the the sheep, that his own sheep know him, they hear his voice, And we follow him. And he says, and I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. And then verse 29, my my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So as we're traveling on this road, once we get on this road, there is no turning back. There's no turning back. The wide road, we can have people on the wide road and they can be roaming and they can be lost, they can be milling around going back and forth looking here and there trying to find the best most important greatest thing the most popular thing for the day they can be milling all over the place but when you find the narrow gate and you go through the narrow gate and the narrow gate is Jesus he tells us here, I am the gate. You come through me, and you have eternal life. You walk the road, the narrow road, you have eternal life. And I am the shepherd who will guide you. I will lead you and guide you. You know, from Psalm 23, I will guide you. I will take you along on the road. I know that many of you are perhaps familiar with the, the poem Footsteps. In those times, when um, things get hard and challenging on the road. And, and the, uh, the writer uh, um, uh, coins or pens this phrase and says, you know, uh, uh, there were times when there were only one set of footprints. Where were you, Jesus, when you were walking with me on the road? And he said, oh, my son, those are times when I had to carry you. That's why you only see the one set of footprints, because I had to carry you. Once we're on the narrow road, we don't get off the narrow road. There are going to be hills and valleys, ups and downs, good days, bad days, high days, holidays, and bonfire nights. There are going to be those times. But the thing is this. We don't lose our salvation once we have determined that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have made him our Lord and our Savior. I know there's some teaching out there about that. I understand that. But I think it can't be more explicitly stated than it is right here in verses 27 and 29, 28, 29. We are not going to lose our salvation. Now, will we make things more challenging for ourselves on the narrow road? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do and the best way to actually go on the narrow road is to go down the middle of it, to stay away from the sides because you know there are ditches. I don't know if you've been out on the Hammonds Plains Road lately, but there are ditches on the road on sides of the road and you don't want to get in the ditch although some people have come very close, but but you don't want to get in the ditches while they're out there putting in the new culverts. Because those ditches are deep. And you don't want to get yourself down in the ditch. But there are ditches on the road. And we can actually get off into a ditch from time to time. I I, uh, recalled this song from 2005. It was a a song, a country and western song, I believe, uh, performed by a group called Exile. And it was called, Keep It in the Middle of the Road. And this is the refrain. Of that song. Is, keep it in the middle of the road honey keep it in the middle of the road neither right nor left right down the middle we go don't let our love fall by the wayside like a lot of people I know whatever we do let's keep it in the middle of the road the reason that we need to take a look at the middle of the road and not at the sides of the road or the ditches is because that's where there is sin That's where there is Satan, and that's where there is the allure of the world. And they're basically beckoning and calling us to come get in the ditch with them. And so as we walk along, every once in a while, temptation rears its head. Oh, this looks good over here. Come on over and have a look. Or, that won't hurt anybody. Nobody will know. Those are the ditches we can get into. Will it take away our salvation? No take away our salvation but what it will do is it will hamper our love relationship remember I said about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself it it will affect that it will affect our love relationship with with the Lord it will have an, an impact there but it does not harm what Jesus did for us he went to the cross and he died and he was buried and he was raised and he ascended for us. And when we accept what Jesus has done for us, there is no losing of your salvation. But we are sheep. We are like sheep and we can sometimes go astray. But the good part of it is that we have a great shepherd who goes in the ditch and picks us up and gets us back on the road and dusts us off and says, OK, now fess up, fix up, and move ahead. Go forward. Keep going. I'm with you. You know? I'm going to comfort you, and help you, and show you, and, and, and guide you, and lead you. The other thing I wanted to mention was that as far as people falling into the ditch from time to time, and having to um, get to uh, help and support from Jesus to get ourselves straightened around. Groups of people can fall into ditches too. Churches can fall into ditches. Um, And all we have to do is take a look at Revelation 2, the churches that are are mentioned there. Of those, uh, that list of churches, most of those churches, not all, but most of those churches had some issues. And what they did was they lost sight of their love relationship with God. They lost their, their sight of it. Their, their, their focus shifted from what was all about God and our relationship with Him and others to something else. So the churches that are mentioned, um, they talk about some of the pitfalls, some of the ditches that they can fall into, and, and this is not an exhaustive list for sure, but these are some of the things that, that uh, I've noticed about churches. Um, we can get into the B words, the B words, busyness, budgets, bodies, and buildings. We can get into those B words, busyness. We can be so busy. That, that seemed to be a, a, a card of courage or a badge of honor or whatever. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm just so busy, I'm just so busy. That's fine, but how is that affecting your relationship with Jesus? How is that affecting your relationship with others? You know? Is that the byword of the church? Well, we're just so busy here. And we wear it like a badge of honor. I don't know that it is a badge of honor, I think it's a distraction sometimes. Budgets. This is one of my pet peeves. People that say, oh, so and so is just a good giver, they're just such a good giver. That doesn't honor God. God is the author of all our goodness, the good things that we have. And if we put money ahead of everything else, uh, I don't know that the, the church has the right focus. Bodies. It's like you get to a meeting, and how many people do you have in church last week? I don't know, how many did you have? Well. I don't think that that's where we need to be either. And then buildings. You know, we have a big building. We have a huge building in this, that, and something else. Yes, those things have a place. They all do. They all have a place. Sometimes we are going to be busy. Sometimes it is an issue with money. Sometimes uh, we do want to talk about how we increase um, exposure to uh, uh, of people to, uh, to Jesus Christ. And we do talk about maintenance and buildings. We want pe- people to be comfortable when they come. But those are not to be the main focus. The main focus is to love the Lord your God and to love others. And when we lose, lose our, our focus on those things, um, they can replace our relationship with God. Jesus finishes off the Sermon on the Mount by talking about false believers, and he goes back to this whole little issue about sheep again. And uh, in in verses 15 in chapter 7 and onward, Jesus starts and he says, Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. These are people that are faking it. They're frauds. They come to you saying that they're one thing, when they're actually something else. And then he goes on to say, the fruit, the fruit that they bear. If they're a bad tree, how do they bear bear good fruit? If they're not what they say they are, you say, you will know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorns, bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. So beware. And then finally, Jesus says to them, you can't fake me out. You might think that you are doing something to get by. You're not on the road, the narrow road. You're on the wide road. You're still milling around on the wide road, but you're shouting over to the people in the good ro- on the narrow road, and you're saying to them, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. I'm, I'm one of yours, I'm one of yours. And Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? See, the thing is that they were doing things in, in Jesus' name instead of Jesus performing through them. And they were getting the credit. They were getting the the praise. They were getting the adulation. They were glory stealing. And Jesus will have nothing to do with glory stealing. He says, and I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. For those on the narrow way, Jesus promises his love and his presence with us every step of the way. And for those not yet on the narrow way, Jesus is opening the gate. He's opening the gate for us to enter in. And he has done everything, everything that is necessary for us to inherit eternal life. And this is my prayer that you would come, if you've not already been on the narrow way or started on the narrow way, that you would come And you would join the rest of us on the narrow way. That you would be a part of the road to eternal life.